from KQED. You're listening to Cued Up. I'm Sandhya Dirks. Home. How do you define home? A safe space to which you return every day from the harsh realities of the world? A place filled with memories. The doorway frame that marks your kid's growth from toddler to teen. The scuff on the living room floor when you tried to move that couch. There's the physical building, the bones of the place, the memories that are stored up there. You know, home is where the heart is. But home is also where a lot of people's investment is. The money they put into buying a home, fixing it up. I can't think of anything more American dream-like than getting your first home. But homeownership is this thing that's slowly sort of slipping away from a lot of Americans. This is the story of the Bolness family and their battle for home. Here's KQED reporter Zadie Stavely. When Richard and Vanessa Bolness pull up outside their former home in East Oakland, almost immediately they see old friends. Hey, how you doing? One man drives by and does a U-turn when he spots them. Pull up in the driveway like you own it. <laughs> Richard and Vanessa lived here for more than 20 years. Ya no was nada. <laughs> Richard is Latino and grew up in San Francisco. Vanessa is African-American and grew up in North Carolina. She met Richard at church, soon after moving to Oakland with her five-year-old son. After they married, another son was born. Then Richard's sister gave them the money for a $20,000 down payment for this house in 1992. Who lives here? A nice family? They had a reputation here as active churchgoers. We didn't just live here. When neighbors needed help or prayer, they reached out to them. It's a part of a community. You know, everybody kind of knows each other. You know? But much of that community isn't really here anymore. This guy got foreclosed. Yeah, they got foreclosed on. That house right there got foreclosed on. That one over there. Richard and Vanessa Bolness, too, lost the house they're standing in front of now. I cried like a baby. Grown man. Crying like a baby. We had lived here 21 years. I raised three kids here. So this is what we knew. This is where they brought their third baby home from the hospital after she was born. And it was Vanessa's place of business. She ran a child care here. We plant collard greens in the backyard. And after they started to grow, then the kids went out and pulled up greens. And we washed them and cut them up and... Uh, cooked them and they were so delicious. Whoever was enrolled at that time when they passed by this house, I hope they still have those memories, you know. Oh, that's where I went to school and that's where teacher lives and that's where we had the walnuts and collard greens. So yeah, I like those memories, yeah. Thousands of people lost their homes to foreclosure in Oakland. If you were one of them, chances are you're still dealing with the after effects. That's especially stark in Vanessa and Richard Bolness's story the way that one loss builds on another. It all started one morning in 2008. Richard woke up early, like he likes to, took a shower, and began to comb his hair. I pride myself on my hair, because so many people are bald-headed now, especially at my age, but I'm not. So as I tried to comb my hair, I couldn't lift up my right arm. I came in the bedroom, woke up my wife and told her, I think you need to take me to the hospital. I could feel the heaviness 
in his hand when he touched me to try to get my attention. And he said, I think I'm having a stroke. That was the beginning of uh, the change. Yeah. This is the turning point, the first loss in a spiral of losses. It often begins this way. A family hits a hard spot, a health crisis, or a loss of income. At the time of Richard's stroke, he was working at Meals on Wheels. The family lost about $2,000 a month in income. Meanwhile, their mortgage payment had ballooned to the same amount. The Bolnesses decided their best option was to modify their loan. But when the banks want your house, they, they get it. You know? And I thought, we thought, when they talk about hardship, because I had had a stroke and I couldn't work anymore, I thought that automatically we would fall into that hardship, but it wasn't like that. It seemed like every at every point, right when we got to where we thought we was going to get a modification, they did need another piece of paperwork. They needed another bank statement. Mortgage servicers didn't want to follow the rules. This is Mava Brown. She's the director of Housing and Economic Rights Advocates, a statewide housing rights organization based in Oakland. And she says what Vanessa describes sounds really familiar. So mortgage servicers were telling people to turn in paperwork over and over and over again. They weren't looking at it. They would shred it. And it was always something else that they needed. And when we gave them that, oh, we lost that. Could you send something else? They would deny people instantly. Brown says some of this was a collections tactic a way of squeezing some money out from people who were never, ever going to get a modification. But in some cases, she says mortgage servicers just didn't want to pay to train people on the new rules. So homeowners were completely misled, ripped off, and left holding the bag. Now, not everybody can qualify for a loan modification, but a whole bunch of people could, but were prevented from accessing that relief by the mortgage servicing companies. The bonuses were caught up in a bigger web. Oakland and other cities across the country are suing big banks for targeting African-American and Latino homeowners with loans that had abusive rates. If you look at maps of the homes lost to foreclosure in Oakland, you can see it. The red dots concentrated mostly in African-American and Latino neighborhoods. The same neighborhoods that long ago were redlined by the federal government, keeping people of color from getting mortgages. Brown says it's a continuous threat. We've had, uh, like the tides coming and going, choking neighborhoods of color and starving those neighborhoods for access to capital, then flooding, turning on the fire hose and flooding neighborhoods with toxic mortgages. Predatory lending, loan modification fraud, and foreclosure hit Latino and African-American neighborhoods hardest like Richard and Vanessa's. On their six-block street alone, at least 35 properties were foreclosed between 2006 and 2012. Our neighbors right next to us, we saw them lose their house. And so we just started praying harder and, you know, then we saw the neighbor next door to us on the other side lose their house to the same thing. Vanessa and Richard began to feel desperate. Foreclosure seemed almost like a virus they could catch. They decided to pay an attorney to help them other companies began circling. We would get all kinds of letters in the mail saying, call this number, and then you call that number, and they say, well, are you behind on your mortgage? And we say, no. They say, well, we can help you. The first thing you do is stop paying your mortgage, you know. Vanessa was skeptical, 
But one law firm had a logo at the bottom of the page that looked like it was from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD. On this firm's advice, they stopped paying their mortgage. But the firm was lying. They weren't HUD, and they couldn't modify Vanessa and Richard's loan. Years later, that firm and others were sued in a class action. The bonuses won $3,500 back. But that's just a fraction of what they lost. The latest housing numbers show half of all home sales in California are foreclosures. That's actually an improvement from a year ago, but there's concern for closure rates are about to climb once again. In September 2012, the house Vanessa and Richard Bolness owned on 104th Avenue was taken over by a mortgage company. It was no longer theirs. It was heartbreaking. It was like losing a part of, you know, your dream. My wife, because she's so practical, after we stopped crying, she said, Babe, you got to wipe the tears out of your eyes. I said, Man, I ain't finished crying yet. <laughs> she said, Whether well, you finished or not, we got to find another house. It was classic Vanessa. When something hits you, you get up and keep going. So they searched. Vanessa knew they had to find a place by Christmas so the kids at her daycare could transition easily over winter break. So many families who lost their homes were forced out of Oakland. They never found a place they could afford to move to. They just left. But at the last minute, the Bolnesses did find a place to rent. In Oakland. Vanessa says they felt lucky. But it still felt hollow. Because our heart was somewhere else. Our heart was over on 104th, and we were here, but it was like, oh... We weren't really feeling it. And then when people would come and say, oh, this is so nice. This is a beautiful house. And after about three months of that, we were like, oh, well, yeah, it is nice. Yeah. Hey, this is a, it, it took us a while to, uh, I guess, detox from the old house and embrace this house. So, yeah, yeah. And so now it's home. And just the thought of having to move or go somewhere else, is, we can't even think about it, you know. What the bonuses didn't know is that they would be renting from a corporate landlord who would put them at risk of losing a whole lot more. In many ways, the new rental house was perfect for the bonuses. It only has one level, so Richard doesn't have too many steps to climb. Ever since the stroke, it's been hard climbing steps. And most importantly for Vanessa, the house is spacious with lots of room for her daycare. So I haven't changed too much. Really, I haven't changed anything, so that it's divided into all the different areas. Vanessa's business is called Tender Arms Family Child this Care. This is the dramatic play area where the kids would dress up and pretend, play, cook, have puppet shows, where the plants and the fish... There's a science corner um, with goldfish in an aquarium, a pretend grocery store, and welcome signs for the parents in English, Spanish, and Arabic. Also, um, p- um, puzzles and things like that. The kids would use their hands to manipulate Legos and things like that. We would sit here and have a group here at lunchtime. And then this was the great part that I really liked. Vanessa opens the door to show where the kids would come in every morning. I miss that sound because they would be laughing and running. You're know, excited about being here. You can hear the little pitter-patter of their feet coming around the sidewalk. So, yeah, I miss that. Vanessa had a contract with Head Start to take care of low-income kids, and she threw her heart and soul into her daycare for more than 20 years. The play areas are still set up, 
but there aren't any kids here anymore. Vanessa lost her childcare business last fall. Here's how it happened. Vanessa wanted to plant greens with the kids like she had at the home she once owned. So she called a group to come out and test the soil. And that's when she ran into a big problem. The level of lead in the soil was extremely high, particularly in the area that the kids used for the playground. Lead in soil can damage little children's growing brains and bodies, especially if they're under six. When Vanessa got the lead results back, she called Head Start right away, and they came out the next day and put a temporary rubber cover on the patio. But they emphasized it had to become permanent if she wanted to keep her contract. Alameda County has a program to help low-income residents fix lead, and family childcare providers get priority. But because we're not the owners of this property, we couldn't apply to have the work done. We needed the owners to give us consent. And that's where we um, didn't get any cooperation with the property owner. There's something you should know here. Vanessa's landlords aren't just any landlord. It's a Wall Street corporation. Starwood Waypoint and Colony American Homes will soon be operating under one roof. The rivals announced a $1.5 billion transaction on Monday. Real estate investors spent billions on foreclosed homes across the country. The merger will fuse two of the largest owners of single-family homes available for rent, creating one entity that manages north of 30,000 homes. It was part of a strategy to cash in on the mortgage crisis. In Oakland, 42% of foreclosed homes between 2007 and 2011 were snapped up by corporate investors. No one can go with uh, you know, $200,000 in a briefcase, no, just regular person, and buy a property at, at a foreclosure auction. This is Steve King of the Oakland Community Land Trust. That really created a scenario for investors and people that knew how to play that game. You know, I mean, it was just a, you know, a feeding frenzy. Not only did investors snap up homes, they kept them, and now they're making money off of them by renting them out at the highest price they can get to families like the Bolnesses. What's more, a survey conducted by the group Tenants Together found that 40% of Californians renting from the top three Wall Street real estate investors reported that these landlords weren't repairing or maintaining homes as they should. Two of those companies later merged to become Colony Starwood Homes. The founder and executive chairman of Colony Capital, Tom Barrick. The chairman of the board was Tom Barrett. And, and I'm here because Donald Trump is one of my closest friends for 40 years. Who helped raise $35 million for President Trump's campaign and chaired his inaugural committee. I'm the, the son of a very humble Lebanese grocer from Culver City, California. Where's California? Barrett just sold his shares in Colony Starwood Homes, which should make him hundreds of millions of dollars. And he stepped down as chairman of the company he founded. But this company still owns more than 30,000 single-family homes across the country and close to 4,000 in California. And that is the company that is Vanessa Bolness's landlord. When she moved in, the company was called Waypoint. She was paying more to rent than she had been paying on her mortgage at her old house. And now she was at the mercy of these landlords to keep her daycare business. So I'm on the phone now. My husband and I, we're calling Waypoint and emails and everything like that. If the company signed off on the lead abatement, Alameda County would have granted them up to $10,000 for the work, as long as they agreed to continue renting to low-income tenants. 
It's not clear if that's why the company didn't want to work with the county. Colony Starwood told Vanessa they would do the work themselves. The property manager said, well, we're not familiar with Alameda County, healthy homes, so we have to use our own contractors. Vanessa needed that work done. Her preschool depended on it. To keep her contract with Head Start, Vanessa had to apply every spring for the new school year that would start in September. Here we are, the clock is ticking. I'm like, okay, I'm taking pictures of this is what, this is the area, this is how big it is, this is what we need you to have done. Vanessa says property managers came and went. And each time there was a new one, she had to start the process over again. In June 2016, almost three years after the lead had been found, Head Start told Vanessa her time was up. They wouldn't renew if the lead wasn't fixed by September. And I'm like, okay, this is affecting my income. I give all these red flags about what's going to happen if nothing is done. Still no urgency on their part. It wasn't until November that Colony Starwood Homes finally did the work. When they did, the repairs were minimal. A spokesman from Colony Starwood Homes wouldn't specifically answer why they took three years to fix the lead. They sent a statement instead, stating that the company finished the project by November 28, 2016. But by that time, three years after her initial request, it was too late. Head Start had canceled Vanessa's contract for the entire school year. The family's main source of income was gone. So we let, we had to you know apply for public assistance to you know get food. Uh, I lost my health care insurance under um, covered California and had to you know get Medi-Cal. They began to fall behind on their rent. There were nights when I would wake up and think like we're squatters, and we felt really bad about that because it was never our intention to not pay rent. Because after you lose a house and people say, oh, stop paying your mortgage, we knew that's not the way to go. So it was like, this was like a second chance. And we didn't want to be, you know, at the mercy of somebody saying, okay, you got to get out again. But Colony Starwood Homes had already begun trying to evict the Bolnesses, even before they fixed the lead. For the Bolnesses, there was something really twisted about being asked to move out. If the corporation had fixed the lead in their backyard on time, they'd still be running their childcare business and be able to pay their rent on time. We didn't bring the lead in, our, in my back pocket. We just decided to empty the lead in the backyard. The lead was already here. So why are we paying a penalty? I would have gone back to work in September with um, Head Start. I would have opened up and been fully enrolled and would have got a paycheck. But come September, when the rent is due, uh, I didn't have September's rent. Vanessa and Richard turned to their church for help, and they were able to show up in court with two months of rent in hand raised by their congregation. But the money alone wasn't enough to cancel the eviction. They also had to fight back, show their landlord they weren't about to back down. There's a Facebook Live video that shows Vanessa Bolness standing up to her landlord. This is Vanessa. You guys are evicting her. This is a senior vice president from Colony. So just can you it's just from January of this year really at the corporate offices of Colony North Star in Los Angeles. The corporation is chaired by real estate mogul Thomas Barrick. At the time, Barrick was also the board chairman of the company that owns Vanessa Bolness's house, Colony Starwood Homes. You There's a crowd in the lobby of his L.A. headquarters. 
People in wheelchairs, people carrying picket signs, and there is Vanessa Bolness. Uh, Vanessa here, she's getting uh, evicted from her house, and all the way in I'm all the way in Oakland. So that was exciting. <laughs> when we got in there, they were like stunned to see, uh, it was just working class people just passing through the lobby. And then all of a sudden, we had our signs, and we had the bullhorn, and we were chanting, and Vanessa was carrying a sign that said, Hey, Barrick, East Oakland is not your colony. So they finally did send somebody down. They sent down the senior vice president of the company. So we presented him with a demand letter. Vanessa and Richard participated in three different protest actions against Colony Starwood, with a housing rights group called the Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment. Finally, in February, Colony Starwood agreed to cancel the eviction, plus four months of back rent. I'm a big sports fan, so I was telling them first that we was playing defense because we had to do everything we could not to get evicted. That is over now, and we won our eviction battle. And now I say we're playing offense now, and I like offense better. <laughs> In a city where so many homes were lost to foreclosure and so many renters are forced out, when someone wins and is able to stay in their home, it's almost like a victory for everyone. Facing eviction made Vanessa excited? think about how yeah. she fit into the bigger Is picture. Is everybody excited? Yeah. I'm excited because I know this works. And um, just a little while ago, I was fighting eviction against a large corporation. The eviction was stopped. Woo! Uh, yes. She decided she needed to do more for others in her situation. She helped organize other rallies for Oaklanders like her facing eviction by corporate landlords. I believe we are descendants of the people who helped to build, specifically, you know, like Oakland. A lot of our people migrated from the South during that great period of migration. And they came and they worked in the shipyards. They worked, you know, on the naval bases and the military bases to help build this city, you know. And then when you look around, it's like someone told me by the year 2020, the African-American population in Oakland would probably be about 5, 4 to 5%, like San Francisco. So I think it's strategic, but that's why we're fighting to stay here. Yeah, yeah. After church one Sunday, Vanessa's listening to music and making meals for the whole week in her kitchen. She has a new job now, teaching at a childcare center. It pays $17 an hour. She says that amounts to about a third of what she brought in when she ran her own childcare business at home. The rent is about all we can afford to pay. It's crazy. I don't make enough to do anything but pay rent. The Bolness's victory was a big relief, but their financial problems are far from over. Foreclosure stays on your credit report for seven years, and all the equity invested in your home is lost. To lose a home is to lose all the memories stored up in the physical space, the children raised, the birthday parties and high school prom photo sessions, but it also means losing the investment in the future, in your kids. The Bolnesses have three. 
any, you know, we don't have a house to give them. We don't have anything to give them, you know. This is a problem facing many African-American families disproportionately hit by the crisis and now still trying to recover. The housing crisis across the country led to white home ownership dropping 5%, but African-American home ownership fell by three times that amount. And home ownership is a huge part of the racial wealth gap. Black college graduates have actually lost wealth over the past generation, while white college graduates' wealth has grown. The Bolness's youngest daughter is about to graduate from a historically black college in Texas. They sit on the living room couch to call her. Hey, mommy, how you doing? <laughs> Your dad want to holler at you. <laughs> so did you go to church today? Yeah. They keep it light, asking about her dog, Empress, who they call their grandpuppy. Oh, nothing much. I taught Sunday school today. Went real good. So, we had a but good But privately, time. Vanessa tells me her daughter has had to call on other family friends and people from church to help out when she needs money at school. Vanessa says there's something else she's passing on to her daughter, though. It may not be money. It may not be a house. But there's so much more. So when she has a day that's trying... Like, you know, and she feels like she can't make it. And she'll text me and she'll say, Mom, this is so hard. And, you know, she's feeling really down and sorry for herself. I'm like, but think about your mom, what you've seen me go through, what you've seen us go through. You came from me. See, even now, even as they struggle to scramble together the rent and stay in Oakland, Vanessa and Richard Bolness see blessings in the obstacles that banks and dishonest mortgage servicers and landlords have put in their path. They have a legacy to pass on. Stand up for yourself and for your community. Remember where you came from, even in the face of catastrophic loss. Especially, especially then. Thanks to Zadie Stavely for bringing us the story of the Bullnesses. So there's one major takeaway from the Bullnesses story that I can't really get out of my head. This giant after effect of the mortgage crisis, that middle class wealth wrapped up in home ownership has moved out of the pockets of everyday people and gone directly into the bank accounts of corporations. I started to wonder uh, something that a lot of people uh, were also wondering. I wanted to know more about Tom Barrick and Colony Starwood and, well, corporate landlords. Why is it that if the economy had been in recovery for almost a decade, why did people still feel uh, like they were poorer? So I sat down with Aaron Glantz. He's a senior reporter with Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting. Uh, why did people feel like they were being left behind? And Aaron, he knows a lot about this because he spent the past year investigating Barrick and Colony Starwood. I looked at this fact. The fact was that even while the economy was recovering, the homeownership rate in America kept going down, and last year hit its lowest level since the Vietnam War. 
So what happened to all of those houses that used to be owned by people? They didn't just disappear. Uh, And then I happened upon another fact. Almost half of all homes in some major American markets were being bought with cash. They weren't being bought with loans at all. So who were these cash buyers? Uh, You ask people around here in the Bay Area, they'll say it's tech money. They'll say it's uh, foreign investors from China. And I'm sure that that's happening, but it just didn't seem like a complete explanation. Uh, And that's how I started to look at these giant uh, private equity firms like Colony uh, that were buying up so many homes all over the country and putting them out of reach from people like you and me. You start investigating. You start looking at who's buying these homes and what's happening to them. And what do you find? Well, I find that there's a couple of big players. Colony is one of them. Uh, Another one is uh, Blackstone, the Blackstone Group, uh, headed by Stephen Schwartzman. Uh, They own about 50,000 homes now through their Invitation Homes brand. These companies were buying exactly the kind of homes that people might want to buy to get into the housing market as first-time home buyers. American dream homes. Well, the kind of homes that Colony could buy cheap. Uh, But of course, if Colony can buy them cheap, that means that other people might be able to buy them cheap as their first house. And now those are the very homes uh, that have been removed from the inventory uh, so that if you go online uh, and you start looking for a home or you start looking uh, for a home with a realtor, you can't find anything uh, that you can buy. Uh, Why are home prices so expensive? Why are rents going up so much? Why is there such a housing shortage? Uh, Some people say it's because there's not enough development. And I think that, you know, that's a debate worth having. But another factor is that there are a few players that have gotten really unprecedented control of the housing market and are using that power to maximize their profit. These companies bought these homes that used to be owned by people and they didn't turn around, fix them up, and sell them to people. They held on to them, rented them out for maximum profit, and then rolled them into giant mortgage-backed securities. Tell me a little bit more about Tom Barrick and what you found out over the course of your investigation. Tom Barrick is one of these people who makes a lot of money and has for decades profiting off of other people's pain. So... He made his first big pile of cash uh, during the savings and loan disaster of the 1980s. He then profited off of the dot-com bust uh, and, of course, the Great Recession. You know, this is the other thing about Tom Barrick is he's just like one of these tremendous outside, outsized personalities. Um, He's known Donald Trump uh, since the 1980s uh, when he helped Donald Trump buy the Plaza Hotel in New York. Uh, And that's uh, why that longstanding three-decade relationship is why Trump had him introduce Ivanka at the Republican National Convention. In the weirdest introduction ever. Wow, this this is a wow. But I have to tell you, I feel like the anchovy on Ivanka's Caesar salad. 
I know you're salivating for that and you're going to get it. He has this way of speaking where, similar to our president's, his sentences start in one place and end up someplace completely different. Uh, He paces the stage like a motivational speaker uh, in pretty much all of his speeches. And he says things like, um, you know, I mean, in, when he was just starting his real estate business, uh, buying up single-family homes, he likened it to being in the jungle. This is my investment philosophy, is you man up or woman up, and you walk into a jungle where no one else wants to be, and you swing and you fight and you bite, and eventually, if you're successful, they're all swinging with you, and then you've got to move to another jungle. Over the course of the past year, you visited a lot of homes that had been owned by Colony Starward. And you were saying that the Bullness's case is a little bit different because it's in Oakland. It's not where most of their homes are located. But can can you kind of take us through some of the similarities of, of what they faced in terms of a sort of what they say was a slumlord, an absentee landlord, and other renters that you met in the course of your investigation. The Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta uh, did a big report about what was going on in Fulton County in the heart of Atlanta, which is Colony's largest market. And they found that in Atlanta, this company had filed an eviction notice against one third of its tenants in a single year. Uh, which was double the rate of mom-and-pop landlords. And I I went door-to-door in dozens of homes, uh, tenants of Colony in the Atlanta area where they had received eviction notices. And usually the tenants were just a few days late on their rent. And when I talked to the attorneys and researchers who did the study, uh, Michael Lucas, for example, he said that Colony is the ultimate out-of-state far removed absentee landlord colony colony's vice president or any official with colony isn't there um, and even with local landlords the landlord themselves um, doesn't have to be there the their attorney who handles a high volume of cases is there and that suffices but for a working person uh, they can't send their coworker or their mom or their aunt um, and avoid the eviction in that way they evict almost by algorithm, right? Like if you're late, if you rent from a landlord, like most landlords, that's a human, and you're late on your rent, then the logical thing for the landlord to do is talk to you. What's going on? The real expense of going to court and dealing with the eviction is something that most landlords want to avoid. But because Colony is so big and operates at scale, they don't have those conversations. It's just transactional. It's not actually even about what's even like in the best interest monetary-wise for the company. Yeah. I mean, we spent some time looking at uh, Atlanta. also looked in Los Angeles, which is Colony's second largest market. And there I found somebody getting evicted over $49.33. I didn't know anything about the... uh late fee because I've been living here ever since 2015 I say and you guys been accepting my rent uh, this is an elderly woman like Vanessa used to own her own home lost it when her husband died uh, couldn't make the mortgage payments anymore you know she got late and then she she paid the rent but forgot to pay the late fee and so they sent her a three-day notice over $49.33 just get this uh, notice a three-day notice for me to uh, pay our uh, move. And at that time, she didn't even have $49.33, so she went to her church 
and she borrowed money from her church to pay the late fee. And she's not the only person that I talked to who had to go to really extraordinary length to pay the fees. You'd miss your rent, and then you'd have a $95 late fee, and then you'd also have to pay the fee for the process server who gave you the eviction notice, and then you'd have to bear colonies' court costs in court if you wanted to stay in your property. Uh, They would say you have to pay our court costs, and you have to pay the cost of our lawyers. Um, Is that true? That is exactly what this company does in Atlanta. So you are late on your rent. If you want to stay, you have to get current. And the way that they define getting current, once you they have you in eviction court, which like I said, happens very quickly, um, they start asking for all these extra fees. And when I looked at colonies uh filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission, I found that last year uh, they made $26 million in fees. And it wasn't just that this company was so out of touch that it was filing these eviction notices. They had also almost become part of the business strategy. Eviction uh, as part of their kind of regular business Well, I mean fees, right? Fees. This is a company that makes a lot of money on rent. Most of their money is made on rent, but they could make even more money if they tacked fees on top of it, right? So they have a very aggressive, very aggressive at charging fees, very aggressive at seizing security deposits. And so you end up with a lot of people uh, like uh, Evelyn Knights, the tenant I was mentioning in L.A., she had an eviction notice over $49.33. There was this other property in Atlanta that I went to where the roof leaked so much that the ceiling collapsed on the bed of this young mother uh, when the ceiling fan fell down while she was lying in bed with her newborn baby. And that family had also been pulled into this cycle of eviction notices. I mean, I should say that we went to Colony to uh, discuss all this with them. They uh, did send a statement uh, which said that the company was doing an exceptional job and that their tenants were in general very happy. Uh, They said they had done a customer service survey and scored 4.6 out of 5 on their own customer service survey. And they said they were providing an uh, important uh, function in the U.S. economy by providing affordable housing uh, to people. So this is the story up until now. This is the story that the Bullnesses tell, the story that you found with Colony Starwood. But there's been some interesting developments with uh, with Tom Barrack and um, what has happened since since uh, your story came out. What's happening next in this sort of free-for-all real estate world? This is something that is important. Uh, mortgage-backed securities. We all remember that before the housing bust, Companies were bundling together bad loans that were filled with crap and selling and betting against them and that it almost brought down the entire U.S. economy. This is the big short. This is the big short. Michael, how are you? I found something really interesting. The whole housing market is propped up on these bad loans. They will fail. The housing market is rock solid. It's a time bomb. And as a result of that, uh, a lot of these mortgage-backed securities have been the focus of a lot of scrutiny. Um, 
And some of those bad mortgage-backed securities are no longer being created and are, in fact, illegal. Uh, however, uh, Tom Barrick and these other companies like Blackstone that came in as massive new landlords uh, found a new way to make money off of mortgage-backed securities. Mm. And they started to bundle all these homes that they bought together with cash and got gigantic loans against them. So for example, um, that home, Evelyn Knight's home that I was telling you about who got a um, eviction notice over $49.33, her home is now technically owned. She technically pays rent to a mortgage-backed security, which Barrick's company created with J.P. Morgan Chase. So that home and 3,000 other homes have been bundled together and Barrick's company, Colony, took out what is basically a giant $500 million home equity line of credit uh, on all of those homes. And then that gigantic loan, which was created by J.P. Morgan Chase, that gigantic mortgage-backed security, was cut up into tranches and sold to investors. Okay, this who sounds are looking... so familiar. The, the tranches again. Yeah. So think about it. Th like this is a concern that people have, right? G getting back to the difference between a company like Colony and a landlord that you might rent to, who would be a human that you would could go, you could go talk to. Okay, so. In this case, who's the ultimate owner of the house, right? Well, Colony Starwood Homes, it's part of their empire, right? But who really is the owner of the house? Is it the people who bought up the tranches of the mortgage-backed security that holds the deed? Is it the shareholders of Colony Starwood Homes, uh, like mutual funds or investment firms like BlackRock and um, that are you know, just mostly interested in getting a great return and making as much money as possible. It's just been sucked up, right, into this economy. Okay, so... So, Tom Barrick, this is how he makes a ton of money. Got it. Right, because remember how investors used to buy, hold, and flip, right? right? So, he has found a way to flip his investment without even flipping the houses because when this mortgage-backed security is created, that's $500 million coming from J.P. Morgan Chase to him and his original investors right now, okay? And all those tenants in all of his properties, they're paying that mortgage-backed security back little by little every month. And so... He's basic. This is the mechanism by which he gets his money back and makes his profit. And so there have been six of these mortgage-backed securities, all with J.P. Morgan Chase that Colony has done. They cover more than 20,000 homes, $3.2 billion, all to Tom Barrick and his friends. So when our story came out uh, in June... The very next day, Tom Barrick, uh, you know, he didn't want the scrutiny that we were providing. Uh, he didn't want the attention that we were giving. And so he quit 
as co-chairman of the board of directors of the company and sold all his stock, which at that time was about $135 million he had left. And his investment firm, Colony Northstar, owned another $135 million they sold to. And he walked away. So he has walked away from being a corporate landlord. The company is still there. The houses are still um, removed from the market for people like you and me. Vanessa is still struggling with them. But he, the guy who created this thing, he's he moved walked on. away. He walked away. He's walked away. And now he has found a new way to make money, which doesn't give him the headache of managing all of these properties. And it's just managing the mortgage-backed security. Why should J.P. Morgan Chase? Why should they be the ones providing this new type of credit, creating these new type of securities that remind us all of the great crash? He's created a new company called Colony America Finance. And what they do is they bundle loans for smaller corporate landlords and cut them up into tranches and sell them to bondholders. And, you know, people are worried. People are worried that this is creating a whole new economy that helps landlords and speculators get rich and cuts out the rest of us. You can read and listen to all of Aaron Glantz's incredible reporting on all of this at revealnews.org. Thanks to Aaron, the folks at Reveal, and the Center for Investigative Reporting for sharing this story with us. If stories like this matter to you, you need to listen to Reveal. It's an amazing podcast. I listen to it every week, and it's the exact thing we need right now. It is riveting and deeply important reporting. You can subscribe to Reveal wherever you get your podcasts. And you can subscribe to us too. We're Queued Up, and I'm Cynthia Dirks. The senior editor of Queued Up is Julia McAvoy. Executive producers are Holly Kernan and Ethan Lindsay. Thanks for listening. 